My dad died. I miss my friends because... I don't know how to tell my friends that... I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? My uncle abused me. The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. So glad to introduce Michelle Haar, a good friend of mine um, who's been so gracious about coming on the podcast today. So Michelle, thanks for coming. Thanks so much for having me. Such a such an honor. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with my master's in social work. Um, I've been in the field for about 25 years and I've had a private practice for uh, approximately 18 years and in my private practice I work with individuals, couples, families and I work with adolescents through adults and primarily I would say 90% of the work that I do uh, involves grief and loss because where there is loss, there is grief. And so it, it eventually, even if somebody comes into my office where that's not their primary reason for coming in, inevitably they are grieving something. So. Absolutely. I remember when I met you, which was many years ago, um, and you told me that you work with adolescents. And I remember thinking, it's hard to find people who work with adolescents. Yeah, I love that age. They're, they're grieving every single day because every day is something something new happens. They've lost something. They've gained something. Um, I just think it's such a formative age, and uh, I just so appreciate um, their their struggle to figure out who they are. And uh, I, I love adolescence. <laughs> well, I'm glad. So, you know, I think I asked you to be on the podcast, not just because you have a lot of experience professionally with adolescents, but through our own uh, travels together, I've learned a little bit about your own story, um, which also involved some significant losses when you were an adolescent. And I thought maybe you could share a little bit about that experience and we could talk more about that. Sure. Um, you know, I guess there's an expression in our field that, you know, social social workers we're, we're social workers usually because we're trying to, you know, work through our own trauma at some point. Um, and um, I probably it's it's no it, it's no surprise that the avenue that I chose is grief and loss because um, when I was a teenager, um, when I was uh, 16 years old, um, my first love uh, died in a very a tragic car accident while we were up at sleepaway camp, which was all of our favorite and safest places in the world. And you know, the hope is, is as a as an adolescent that you have a, a favorite and safe place. And for all of us, that was it. And in one you know one moment, uh, that place became a place of complication and and hurt and mm. and grief and sorrow. So he he died in a car accident. And I think that that forever changed me because at the time of our lives, when you're feeling immortal, all of a sudden you're faced with your own mortality. And, you know, no 
teenager, your childhood is sort of robbed from you a little bit, I think, when you have that reality. We all grew up pretty, pretty quickly that summer. And then um, we kind of bonded together as a group of counselors. How did you get through such a difficult time when you were away from home? We kind of got through the initial trauma of that by kind of creating our own support group. We, you know, we, we figured out pretty quickly how to, because we were counselors, so we had to take care of younger kids. And we were, we were forced by, our, by the director of the camp, because we still had a job to do, to kind of very quickly learn how to balance um, being counselors and doing our jobs, and at the same time, just grieving and mourning from the pit of our souls. And uh, we did that, you know, we, we put our campers to bed at night and then we would sit on each other's porches and just cry and share memories and um, just, we just got through it till we could get home. And then when we were separated, we each struggled very differently um, with, with our coping um, while we were apart. And I think that we found solace when we could talk on the phone and, um, you know, kind of but uh, but it was definitely um, it was through peers that you know I was able to kind of get through that yeah and through my friends at home you know the ones who who could understand and be there for me I am I am very fortunate I also have very supportive parents and siblings and and um but we I, I also learned that um, we don't all grieve the same way mm-hmm. um, and I think that. I know, I know that, uh, you know, professionally, you've heard me say this before that, um, you know, grief is a competitive sport. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when you're when you're grieving with people, and you want to be heard, and you want to be felt, there was also that piece of I think that as much as we were grieving together, I think when we went home, because we were now the only people in our home environment going through that, we all kind of got a little bit more individual attention from our friends and our family. And mm-hmm. I think, I can't speak for my friends, for my camp friends, but um, I think that we all had a different level of support at home. And I was really fortunate to have really good friends at home, one of whom helped me um, a great deal get get through that. She was, you know, my best friend. I had mm-hmm. a very close group of high school friends and, you know, uh, she and another one were, you know, to two of my closest and uh, she was an integral part of kind of getting me through that and then your year was a little bit of a blur and feeling kind of numb um and I remember having to go to college interviews and um I just I, I don't remember a lot of it I'll be honest with you because I think I was my I was I had grief brain mm-hmm. and um and uh we, you know, I just had to muddle, muddle through that and again, do that balance of living in the end where I was, you know, I was this, this high school senior who was supposed to be making these life decisions and I was just grieving and grieving didn't just look like sadness. Grieving looked like a lot of things. Um, mm. So I love that grieving in the end. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's finding that balance of um, it doesn't wait in line, you know, grief doesn't wait in line and it doesn't take turns. It, it coexists. It's, it's like breathing. Sometimes, um, we don't realize we're, we're breathing, but we're breathing until we have to sprint or climb a set of stairs. Um, you know, with, with 
with COVID happening and not exercising as much, <laughs> I'm realizing that sometimes I am out of breath because mm -hmm. I climbed a set of stairs too quickly because I'm not up and moving and I'm right. very aware that I'm breathing. Mm -hmm. And grief is like that. And uh, we, we're doing it all the time. We all have our losses, some greater than others. And we have to get through our, our lives and grieve those losses mm -hmm. and it's it's so hard and so you know in that moment it was definitely it definitely was feeling like I had to was doing sprints all the time emotionally because yeah. I was so aware of my grief and also aware that I had to take an SAT and apply to schools and the pressure and all that kind of stuff so wow. um yeah so that it was a lot mm -hmm. but again I had a really good support system Unfortunately and sadly, when I left for college, my grandmother was sick and um, she she passed away very mm -hmm. early on in the semester. So I that was my you know death number two in the, in the course of a year mm -hmm. um, or a little over a year. And then a month later, that best friend who helped me get through my first loss died while she was at college from bacterial spinal meningitis. Wow. Yeah. That was getting the wind knocked out of me completely and just shock and numb again. It felt really differently this time. All of a sudden it put in perspective because my friends from high school now were going through something very similar to what I had gone through the year before. They were all talking about we're, you know, mortality and we're not immortal. And it was sort of interesting to watch them go through and sort of be where, where I was a year before. I was in a very different place because I already knew that we die. Right. And that, you know, 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds are not necessarily immortal. I wasn't going through what they were going through and so I felt a little bit alone because I didn't I couldn't relate and I knew that if I really sat with them in the way that I had sat with my camp friends the year before I wasn't going to get what I needed from them in that same way because I just felt sad like I I wasn't going through that um, existential crisis I think I distanced myself a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so the death of my friend happened actually, coincidentally, we were on break. So I had just come home for a fall break from my college and my friend was also supposed to be on fall break. And I kind of came home and was thinking I was going to be meeting up with her. And then another one of my best friends was like, did you hear, did you hear? And um, I was so confused. And oh so, yeah. And so it was kind of a whirlwind those few days because I am Jewish. My friend is Jewish and Jewish religion, you, you know, you bury, you bury the dead quite quickly. But I also remember things like because of the meningitis, she couldn't be buried in like a wooden coffin or she they had to take certain precautions with her body that I hadn't prepared for, like to not see her or to not say goodbye in that way. Mm -hmm. Just sort of trying to take everything in. And, and on top of it, we had seen her a few weeks earlier and we had all gone into the city to um, 
to hang out. And we were at Serendipity in New York City and we were having frozen hot chocolates and we were all sharing straws. And so on top of um, her, her dying, um, we also, any person who had been with her, we had to all go on this um, heavy duty medication in order to protect us in right. case we had been exposed. It was like this very, it was this whirlwind of grieving her and being scared for ourselves and making sure that we were all okay and that nobody else was going to die. And then we went back to school, all of us, you know, our parents, I wanted to stay home longer. And I remember my father very sternly saying, you need to go back to your life. And I was mad at him. I was definitely mad at him. I'm still, you know, out on, on, on the fence of like, was that the right thing? Was that not the right thing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I was telling him what I needed and he was saying, go back to school. Right. Um, again, I just felt sad. It was so pure. Like the sadness was just so pure. And, you know, it was also so different because a month prior, I had buried my grandmother. And that death was, um, that was very different, very different. And there was like a, there was a beauty in my grandmother's death because she lived this beautiful life with family and friends. She died of leukemia and she chose to not go through treatment because she said, I'm taking control here and I don't, you know, she didn't want to live those la that last six months or a year with, with the treatment that they had right. offered her. And I respected that. And so she was, you know, she died in the, you know, in, in the den where we still to this day have our Jewish New Year dinner. And uh, there was a beauty in it. She got to say goodbye. She got to, she lived this long, beautiful life. Right. Um, and so it was such a weird juxtaposition of these two teenage deaths and then this wonderful grandmother death. And mm -hmm. I, I'm glad that I got to see both. Um, because it reminded me that death doesn't always look one way and isn't always tragic. Right. Um, and so, and that there can be a beauty to an end of life. Sure. Um, and I think with my, my, with my girlfriend, she, I just felt sad. It was just yeah. heart-wrenching sad. And I went back to college sad. Yeah. However... I felt a little responsible of, I was so aware that, and I had felt this the year before too, because remember I, I said like that I was figuring out how to live in the end. Yeah. And um, my my first love was somebody who um, he had, he was so full of life and, and, um, and same thing with my, with my best friend from high school. And I felt like I kind of owed it to them to do things um, it, for not for them, but with them in mind, and um, because they couldn't, right, right, like they they couldn't. So I'm not a risk taker. So when I say that, this isn't where I was jumping out of airplanes and bungee jumping, and <laughs> you know, do, it wasn't that. But it was it was about um, I want to live a full life. I want to live a full life because they couldn't. Right. Um, so it. it I, I will say this when I, you know, when I see something beautiful, I look at it three times because mm -hmm. they never, they both never got to. Um, 
you know, I was probably mindful before mindful was a thing, I'm thinking, when I think back. <laughs> right, right. Because um, I, if there was something beautiful, I like a sunset or just some, like something tasted really good, I, I was always very aware of, I'm going to really... I'm going to really taste this or I'm really going to look at this because these two these two people did not get to and the lives that they would have had would have been just unbelievable and they were cheated of that and yeah. so um, that's I think kind of how I taught myself how to live in the end mm -hmm. that I can be broken hearted and there's still beauty in the world I can be sad and there's still joy mm -hmm. um, and I think that was sort of the challenge when I went back to college because I wanted to have this really full freshman year experience um, even though I was this grieving 17 year old um, and um, I was very fortunate that I had a roommate who um, who supported me and was my best friend and she got it and um, there were some people that I met that year that they didn't get it sure. and um, I don't think I continued with those friends and I think that kind of through the years I think that um, I have learned to choose my friends very carefully and people who are going to love me unconditionally and know that I'm going to have good days and bad days and that I'm going to accept them in, in the same way that, that, that I don't have to paint a picture that I'm not. I get to just be me and me is the me is the me I am because as a teenager, I, uh, you know, I lost those people. Yeah. This was all your first semester of your freshman year. Yeah. I'm thinking the, as yeah. a parent myself of a, you know, just recent freshman in college. So early on, you often, you know, you're still figuring out who your friends are at school and, and what's available to you as far as, you know, support systems and ways of being in the world. What did you do as a, as a freshman to, to cope, to make friends, to feel connected to others? When she died, it was October, and we had been already been in school since August. And um, I had an immediate connection with my roommate, and a guy who lived on the same floor as I did, but on the guy side. I tried to maintain a schedule. I went to my classes, I did my work, um, and um, when I needed to talk, I I, I talked. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I needed to go to a party, I went to a party. I'm gonna How were your teachers, you know, if you missed a class occasionally, um, you know, but were they supportive, understanding if you needed extra time on an assignment or, you know, if you couldn't make it to class? So nobody knew. My friends knew, but professors did not know. I did not share with them. Um, it was freshman year and majority of my classes were, it was first semester, were like those big lectures. Mm -hmm. So like economics, I was one of 400 people in the, you know, in the classroom. My psychology 101, I was probably one of 100 people. Right. So they weren't taking attendance. So as long as you um, kind of, I, I knew which class, like my bio lab, that was another friend who got me through it. I had a, a, another very dear, dear, dear friend who um, I met in my bio class, and he he's a doctor now. Mm -hmm. um, and so he, he kind of knew that I needed help. So 
he, uh, you know, he was my lab partner. (laughs) um, He would help me study. So, um, you know, was there a reason you didn't tell your teacher? um, You know, at the time, I don't think it was a decision where I said, I am or I'm not. I think that if I had, you know, I remember struggling to get through, believe it or not, my psychology class. Um, I know it's, I laugh at that as well because I'm a psych major and, you know, and a therapist. Um, and I actually remember calling my mother and um, she she was sort of able to kind of talk me, you know, talk me through that. Um, I, it's funny, I can't remember if my parents at any point in time said you should reach out to your professors and you should... I just, I didn't tell anybody. I, I don't yeah. know if it was, you know, it, it might have been, I, I didn't want to be the different kid. I didn't want anybody looking at me strangely. I just, I just wanted to be a, your typical, right, like freshman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, I'm not going to, you know, tell everybody your age, but this was like five or six years ago that you were in college. So, <laughs> um, I'm just thinking that, you know, I think times have changed a bit, yeah. but I do think that there was more shame um, about needing support. I I hope that both students as well as, you know, faculty and administrators of universities have come around to the fact that that's not shameful, that you might need support, but it might not have felt that way then. So you yeah. might have you know, not even considered doing something like that, telling people. Yeah, I mean, it was, look, it was the 80s. Um, see, I can, I can. All give right, the, you outed I, yourself. I can give the decade, but, you know, just to give perspective, you know, yeah. it's the 80s. I will say, it's interesting, though, my school was really ahead of the curve on sexual assaults. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember coming in as a freshman and there was they had started a program because um there was they had had an in they had had a few incidents Mm -hmm. and the administration was on it and they created i believe like a video um before a lot of universities were doing that they created a video on their own um with like college student you know with with my with my university students and um Mm -hmm. And they showed that. So there was a, there were some taboo topics that were definitely um, approached in, right. you know, during freshman orientation, that that being one of them. And that was something that the, the they didn't call them resident advisors. They called them something else. But um, they you know, that the, the resident advisors, um, that was something that even back in the 80s, that something that was always talked about you know you never go alone you never this you never that but people weren't talking about um people weren't talking about you know uh death and suicide you know on campuses like those type of taboo topics were were not were not discussed um and i don't know if anybody died my freshman year on my you know at my school I would imagine that there was, and I don't really know if, if we would have known about it. Where now I think they are much more, people are much more open about talking about it and the administration is also much more willing to to share, you know, I don't yeah. want to say details, but, you know, supports that are available. Absolutely. Did you get any normal support? Did you go for therapy or a support group? No. So I think that I had a really, so when my 
first love died. And I keep calling him my first love because at the time that he died, he was not my boyfriend, which was an added complication. Okay. Um, because I wanted, you know, this was like my first love and, um, you know, and he was my best friend also. Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of knew that it was a bad breakup. And yeah. there was always that, you know, are they going to get back together again? But he was dating as is typical in adolescence. He was dating my best friend at the time. Oh. <laughs> um, and we are still friends. Um, but, you know, I think that it was hard because, um, you know, it, it was sort of like this question mark as to like, what do we do? Like, what do we do for Michelle during this? Because we know, but she's not the girlfriend right now. Right. But um, I think when I came home, my mother was very worried about me and she sent me to a to a therapist and it was a male therapist and she she said this person was recommended and I, I she wouldn't she wouldn't stop and so I I went and I went to my first appointment my first session and I shared I shared the story about how he at the time had been dating my best friend and with as soon as I hit that point the first thing he said to me was well you must be really angry at her and I said really that's what you took from that <laughs> like in my head right you know he just he hijacked my session basically yeah. <laughs> and he just didn't get it he didn't get it that I could love this this I could love him I could love my best friend I could grieve with my best best friend even though I was jealous of her mm-hmm. um and that he like didn't understand that the complicated nature of that and I don't even remember the rest of the session I just remember that and him telling me how I felt and <laughs> Right. You're laughing because, you know, any any clinician out there who's listening to this is going to laugh at that. Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, and that was it for me. And so I think that when my girlfriend died, I just it felt too risky at that point because I don't I don't think I trusted a clinician, which I think, again, fast forward is why I do what I do, because I hope I hope I do it better than that than that therapist. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, it's a really good PSA to any therapists that, you know, we don't know how people are feeling and really it's not our job to even guess. It's to let them talk about their experience and follow their lead. Correct. And, uh, and yeah, I didn't, and maybe I was angry, but I was not ready to talk about that yet. I just wanted to talk about how sad I was. Right. Um, so, so it, you know, so again, my freshman year, I, I don't think I ever thought about going to that to, to mm-hmm. talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. And again, I will say, and I know this is not the situation for everybody, that um, I have always had relationships with the friends that I have where you could say anything, and so. I had a, a wonderful support system where um, it, it was like, you know, peer, it was like a peer support group. It was, you know, it was, it was therapeutic. It wasn't yeah. therapy, but it was therapeutic. And I got, mm-hmm. I knew how to get what I needed from the people who I loved and who loved me. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to have gone through it, obviously, because as a therapist, I haven't gone through everything that my clients have gone through, right? Empathy. Empathy that not about that, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I will say though, as a teenager, so I had friends who hadn't been through that, who I thought had tremendous empathy. But I also think that if I had, if I had sought people out in college more in like a, a support group kind of way, it, for me, it would have had to have been people who experienced that. You know, I, I don't think I, I think it would have been harder. I think it would have been harder for me to go to a therapist where in the back of my head, I'd be wondering, do they mm. really know what I'm feeling? Yeah. Ver- versus a support group where I knew that every person in the room had experienced something similarly at, th- at that age. Yeah, well, I- there's power in being with peers. So, you know, being in a support group where you know everyone has been through something, obviously it's not gonna be the exact same thing as you, but right. that that's powerful. Yeah, and I think I wouldn't have wanted grownups in that group, I, you know. I, again, I wasn't in a place where I felt like I, I wanted that, but if, if I had to put a different hat on and say, huh, what would that have looked like if it had existed? Yeah. Um, you know, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm thinking. Um, and it's also, you know, everybody grieves in their own way, and, and there's no, there's no right or wrong, there's no right or wrong way. While I didn't talk to people who were professionals, I talked to people, and what I found was that talking to people helped. Yep. So I think that's so important too. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking like, it doesn't really matter who it is. You know, if it's, if you feel more comfortable talking to a professional, go talk to a professional. If you feel more comfortable talking to your roommate, do that. If you feel better finding someone else who's been through something similar, you know, we should all do what works best for each of us. Mm -hmm. And I think also if you're sharing your story with somebody, because I had this happen, you know, sharing my story and you don't feel like that person is supportive. Um, you don't have to go back to that per That person doesn't have to be the person you share your story with, right? right? That person can be your friend, mm-hmm. um, but maybe it will it will change the, the, the depth of the friendship. Right. Um, I don't know, you know, Mandy, I don't know if, if in, in that orientation period, if in addition to, you know, it's interesting because I always felt I knew what to do in, you know, because we talked about sexual assault and that was like a huge training and something we all had to be part of. It would have been very interesting as a freshman if they had done something similar um, for the RAs and for people to sort of how do you have what's the best way to help somebody who experiences a loss hmm. um, and they kind of made that part of the um, the orientation yeah I, I wonder I wonder yeah. if if I would have talked to somebody right because I knew I it was out there I don't think schools even to this day do that although I'm hoping that they're coming around to the idea because with this pandemic that we're living through, every single college student is coming back grieving something. Yes, and absolutely. I call it pandemic loss. It's we're, yeah, we're all, pandemic loss. That's we are true. all grieving something. Mm-hmm. And I do hope that you know universities are realizing that every student and every staff member needs support, and uh, I hope they're trying to figure out ways to to do that. I also hope that people are getting better, and I think they are, of broadening 
the definition of loss, you know, right. and of, of, of grief, I should say, mm -hmm. you know, broadening that, like kind of the way I've always done in my practice. But I, I do feel like people are acknowledging that more that um, that, you know, where there is again, where there's loss, there's grief and right. that and that people are are grieving right now. I mean, we have we, you know, we have a world that is grieving and it is not only about those that we've lost to, you know, to COVID, but right. just about the loss of life as we've known it right now, mm -hmm. and, you know, and all the changes mm -hmm. and everything. Right. Not even just the loss of life, but the loss of routines. And, yeah. You know, there's financial losses and there's losses of friendships and a whole bunch of things. Yes, absolutely. I was wondering also just, you know, I'd like to ask everyone this question. How are you, what do you do now to sort of take good care of yourself to sort of refuel and provide some self-care? You know, it's, it's funny. I, I, there's, there's some belief that when you've had some type of uh, trauma at a young age um, or at some point in your life while you're in that really, you know, developmental place, mm -hmm. um, that sometimes you get stuck there a little bit. Yeah. And um, I love adolescent movies. I just, I love them because, <laughs> and if I had to kind of be my own therapist, I think it's because I got gypped a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. right at, right at like that point. So it's interesting because, you know, when I, when I need to recharge, give me a rom-com that has, you know, 18 to 25 year olds in it. Right. And I am that I'm a happy person. Yeah. Or if I feel like I need to cry, I will look for, you know, the movies that that make me cry. I, mm -hmm. I, I if I wake up in a bad mood, especially with um, like with with everything with the pandemic and, um, you know, if, if I'm having a bad day, I sort of announce to my family I'm having a sad day. I maybe will binge watch something or I will watch something or I'm a tea drinker I will have an extra cup of tea and I will mm -hmm. stay in my pajamas and and the one thing that I won't do is I will not um, shame myself about that I will not punish myself about that I will not should on myself for that saying well you should do this you should do that right um, I just sort of breathe it in and I, I wear it like I wear mm -hmm. it for the day and I know that the next day might be a better day. And again, if that happens for a week straight, then of course my flags go off, but right. it, typically, it typically doesn't. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I wear it. I wear <laughs> it. And and, uh, and then I, I'm hoping that models for my kids that they can wear it also. And, yep. um, and sometimes I'll say, I don't know what I need. I go yeah, for a walk. Right. Like early on, I don't run. And there was just one day where I said, oh my God, I need to go run. And I put on my sneakers and I ran and I paid for it the next day but I don't I don't know what that was about but I okay. just felt like I needed to run and yeah. I ran. yeah so I listen to myself and I don't I don't judge it I don't mm -hmm. I'm forgiving I'm, I'm forgiving this is a yeah. hard time this is a really hard time thank you for validating that Michelle I think so many people can really relate to it you, if not to your story itself, but to all of the feelings that you experienced when you were dealing with multiple losses in college. So as we get ready to say goodbye, I'm just wondering if people are you know, looking to find you, how can they reach out to you? Um, so there's two ways you can find me. So 
you can find me on Psychology Today. My work number is 973-216-4724. And if you wanted to reach out via email, um, michelle.k.har. So M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E dot K dot H-A-A-R at gmail.com. And we will put all of your information in our show notes. So uh, be sure to check them out if you'd like to connect with Michelle. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the morning meeting. Such an incredibly painful story, but one that probably resonates with too many students. I thank you so much for normalizing the grief experience for so many people around the world. So that's all for today. Join us next time when we talk to a young man who went through some pretty traumatic things as a child and kind of figured himself out once he got to college. It's a really interesting conversation and I hope you'll join in. Please reach out to us if you have any comments or would like to talk about a topic for a future episode. You can reach us at info at themorningmeeting.com or on our Instagram page at The Morning Meeting. Good morning to all of you.